Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Manchester United's long season ends with a third-placed Premier League finish and just the one rather than two trophies after FA Cup final defeat to Manchester City. Eric Ten Hag's Reds got a bit of luck, made a decent go of it, but weren't at the level of our rivals, and the scoreline reflected that. It's a gutting outcome and a gutting finale to a positive first season for Ten Hag, but regardless of that gutting outcome, a very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is with me as always. We're going to dissect that game, of course, reflect on the season as a whole as well, the major big picture conclusions offered by the cup final performance and plenty more in our patron Q&A we'll talk a bit about transfers including about Mason Mount um, but also a couple more bits on on the goalkeeper situation as well Jack it was uh, you were just asking me before we started recording how my day was despite defeat and the truth was I think most United fans made made the most of it it was a lovely sunny cup final Saturday in the capital most Reds made the most of it before and after and tried to quickly forget about the game as much as possible, whether by drowning their sorrows or different activities. But the, the the sense, other than being gutted, I think the sense I had was one of frustration more than anger. Would, would you agree with that? Massively, because I think there was definitely a world going into this game in which United could have been absolutely blown off the park. And you, especially after conceding that early, it very easily could have turned into another 6-3 or 7-0 or, or something in that kind of yeah, mould. Which City, City have done that in good. cup finals before. Exactly. City not, are that not good. Not against United, conceding, but against Watford, but still. Yeah, but, but conceding that early is one of the biggest gut punches you can ever have as a, as a player. And so I think to have, you know, I gained a lot of respect to this team that I already had in the first half for the way that we held things together relatively okay throughout the first half. And then to have put in all that hard work, to have got ourselves back in the game with a little bit of luck from the penalty decision, to then in the second half repeat kind of the yeah. similar mistake and just not really threaten all game. It felt like we sort of did half the job and to then not do the other half was so yeah. frustrating. It's that frustration because we all knew going into this game that if we were going to win, we'd need that slice of luck. Just like in January's derby with the, what, each time I see it, it seems more ridiculous decision than the Rashford-Fernandez offside. We needed that slice of luck and we got it with another questionable, well, by the rules, it's handball. And so it's the right decision, but we all know the rules are ridiculous. We've got another slice of luck with that first half penalty. And we also knew we'd need a, alongside that luck to be going in level at half time, And that would give us a chance to go for it in the second half. And we achieved that, but because of a variety of other errors, we still came out on the losing side. And it's that frustration that, not only was the opportunity there for an historic win pre-match and we failed, it was there at half time. We had 45 minutes to achieve something brilliant and we failed. You're right. The, the, uh, it's that weird thing. You say you have more respect for the players because of the way that they kind of weathered that. Well, it, it was less of a, it, it wasn't really weathering a storm. It was more because there wasn't a storm. It was just like one straight um, 17 or 30, I don't actually know how many seconds. I, when I looked up, having seen it, 
Okay. So I, it took me four seconds to look at the scoreboard after after it was scored <laughs> then. Yeah, Jesus, what a gut punch. A real deflator that made it, it such a big impact as well because it made United's end quiet and and the team were in a, well, the team and the fans were in a similar state of shock. And so, yeah, to not concede again was impressive. To not crumble was impressive. But there's obviously two massive caveats to that. The first of all, what are you doing conceding 13 seconds into a cup final? It's absolutely ridiculous. And second of all, it makes it even more frustrating that we made not exactly the same error, but I think you could put them, you could categorise them and group them together. The same mistake after half time. I mean, the first goal is a catalogue of errors. I mean, it's understandable losing the header to Haaland, but I think you've got to put him under more of a challenge for the header. Lindelof then, the second header is really, really poor. You know, not not only should we get more distance on that, but th- I mean, don't head it back in towards the centre of the, the pitch, you know. And then Gundogan, there's an absolutely no way he should be having that much space. I, I, I know that from kickoff, the game is a little bit disjointed. It, it can be a little bit difficult to sort of know where your man is and everyone kind of gets caught ball watching. But at this level, there's no way that can be allowed to happen. It, it was... Such a gut punch. And it, it took us five minutes or so, I think, to, to sort of regain anything, any sort of confidence or sort of footing in the game. City yeah. had a couple of other half chances through then. We couldn't really get on the ball. But actually from 10 minutes or so onwards, I, I thought we did quite well in the, in the first half. And it's, then, uh, yeah, this, how often is, uh, this, this was kind of the most extreme example we've ever had. 13 seconds in a cup final and everything. Yeah. But how often have we done this against City? If I remember the, even the Ralph Rannick game, did we lose that 4-1 four, four in the end? Yeah, I think so. Where we conceded really early on. I remember we spoke about it afterwards and said that first half performance beyond that, I think it was probably fourth or fifth minute we conceded in that one. That first half performance was otherwise really good. We just, we just wasted. That was one where we played Pogba as like a, a basically a striker, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. That game. And we, yeah. yeah, sometimes you waste a good work after you've done it and that's very frustrating, but to waste a good work before you've even done it, right. it's just in, infuriating. Yeah. And it, it's also that because we, we've, we've spoken about this before when we've previewed this City game and, and other ones. We know the goal we normally concede to City. We didn't concede either of them. These were two great, I mean, Gundogan is, is, is a brilliant player. Um, and to use an American term, a, a clutch player in these in these big moments and big games, and to, to score two volleys with either foot in a cup final is just a ridiculous feat. But we didn't concede that kind of uh, late late number eight run into the box and pull back from Foden or whoever. We didn't concede that, and we, that's how we normally lose. So it makes it again even more frustrating. I thought we looked good. Well, we looked decent after our goal and we, I, I was, I was, I wasn't quite confident at halftime because I think I was still feeling the effects of the early goal, but I think we would have had every right to be confident at halftime and we were playing with a bit of confidence in, because there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more boosting than to draw level in a game that you thought was kind of already gone. And I think even though it was only one nil, it did feel like the game was gone and we had a bit of confidence. Um, I think City broke up our rhythm pretty well with lots of little fouls. They're good at that. And then in contrast, we give away free kicks. Well, I say we, mainly Fred, but uh, <laughs> plenty of, it's actually something that runs through United. Well, we team. give, we, crucially, we give away the fouls too far up the pitch as well, because that is A, when the yeah. free kick that results from it becomes much more dangerous, as we saw for the second goal. But B, you're also much more likely to get booked. If you're fouling someone 
over the halfway line on a counter-attack rather than, you know, 10 yards outside the opposition penalty box when they're just have just regained the uh, possession. You know, the, the consequences of those two things are very, very different. Man City are very good at doing the latter and, and we aren't. We too often let the game bypass us in those initial few seconds. And then by the time we do realise, I, okay, I need, to, I need to foul here. It's in a position where we're going to be put under pressure anyway from the resulting free kick and we're going to get yellow yeah. cards from it. You know, like you mentioned, Casemiro is a culprit of that as well. And it, it's just something that United need to improve at in the next few seasons. I, th- I think we will. I think the, the counter-pressing has improved throughout the season, but it, it wasn't good enough against City today or yesterday. Yeah, we spoke about good Fred and bad Fred pre-match. I actually thought he was a bit of a mix. Speaking of, when we were speaking at half-time, I thought, yeah, this is a decent... He's, he's causing City some problems. There was already, he'd already given away a few stupid free kicks, um, but we hadn't been punished for them. It was kind of a not too bad performance, soured completely by these silly free kicks, which he often does. We, we should talk about Ten Hag's team selection because that was the, the big thing that we were considering pre-match. Anthony was unavailable, which was a, a massive loss. And he went for Fred, but with Ericsson as well. What did you make of how... Ten Hag approached the game. I thought it was a, about what I expected. You know, we talked about putting Bruno Fernandes out on the right if Anthony wasn't available. I really do think that Anthony being out was a, a really, really big blow for us. Just his ability to carry the ball forward would have made a huge difference. But I, I think Ten Hag's set up work to some degree. I think we did manage to disrupt City. I think the big thing Ten Hag wanted to do, he obviously went with Rashford and Sancho rather than one of them playing out wide and Bruno Fernandes out wide. It, it was more the two of them almost as a as a two, a two up up top, Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes then played very narrow as sort of the the two more advanced midfielders. And for a lot of the game, it, it kind of worked. Eriksen would track Rodri, Bruno Fernandes would try and track John Stones when Man City were were playing in sort of deep build up phases. Sancho and Rashford would then, if the ball went out to the fullbacks, one of them would would try and go out there. And you know, I'm not saying that we penned City into their own half by any means, but I think we did manage to disrupt their rhythm. To some degree, I don't think Rodri had the influence that he normally has at all. We sort of funneled their possession, forced them to go long a little bit more than they normally would. And look, I mean, defensively, I, I don't think you could have asked, you can ask for that much more against Man City. I mean, through the, if you, apart from the last 10 minutes when the game obviously became very stretched and, and we looked really leggy, Man City had maybe one really good chance, which is that yeah. Haaland one from the cross quite early on where he stretched and he couldn't quite get enough on. Other than that, they didn't create a single chance. You think, yeah, they should have been scoring that. And when you go into a game against Man City, if you can come out saying that you've hold, held them to one or two really good chances, I think you, you'd back yourself to have a good opportunity to win the game. And again, it makes it so frustrating. I go back to the first thing I said, we we did that half of the job. Yeah. And so actually, I think Ten Hag set up, it, it worked to some degree. I think John Stones had more of an influence in the second half as time wore on. But in general, I think the setup, it 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 did as it intended, I think. Yeah. But in attack, it was It was weak. really poor. Really, really poor. Not helped by the performances of, well, just kind of under par performances of certain players. Rashford just didn't, in a similar way to the Carabao Cup final, just didn't quite look fully fit. I mean, it's it's always hard to know whether it's down to fitness or just the, the state of the game and the service he's getting and how good City's defence is. Um, but either way, he didn't have the impact that, that we would have hoped for. Ericsson neither, um, Sancho neither as well, which isn't isn't massively surprising. But yeah, Ericsson was the attack. one I think that you, you'd really want more from because like 
Sancho, for as much as you know, we've kind of defended him for a lot of the season. He he isn't the kind of player you rely on to have a big impact in these sort of games. I thought he got himself into some decent positions, yeah, but never did enough with it. I think Ericsson was the one you really would have been hoping for more from because there were some occasions where United did manage to get ourselves get our foot on the ball. We did manage to have some controlled possession, and you wanted more from Ericsson to be the player that he's been for for a lot of the season. Keep things ticking over with these really good, incisive forward passes. Probably the fact that Bruno Fernandes wasn't playing at number 10 probably limited that to some degree because he is, you know, someone yeah. that has a great knack for finding space was shunted out wide and it, it reduced the options for Ericsson a little bit. But he was the one I think you really would have wanted more from because you know what you're going to get from Fred. We, he wasn't in the team for his ability in possession. We know that Casemiro can run a little bit hot and cold. Ericsson is the one player in that team that you kind of rely on to help us keep possession, keep us moving forward, but do it in a much more controlled manner. And I, I didn't feel like we had any of that, despite the fact that for periods in the game, we we did actually see the ball more than you'd probably, maybe not more than you'd expect, but more certainly than we have in past games against Man City. This wasn't, after the first 10 minutes or so, this wasn't the kind of game where we were, you know, sat on the edge of our own box the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about some some big picture. If you're wondering why we haven't mentioned Dyer's attempts to save the goals yet, we're saving it for just a couple of minutes. Um, and we'll talk about Garnacho then as well. It, it's worth, I don't know, I'm I'm frustrated and, and disappointed. We're recording, I mean, almost exactly 24 hours on from the game. Um, and yeah, that sense of frustration and disappointment is definitely there and and, and, and sadness. But that's uh, that's football for you. Uh, there are obviously some caveats to this, and we've mentioned Anthony, but also Lissandra Martinez missing two of our key players. I guess you'd say two of United's four best players, along well five alongside Fernandez, Rashford, and Casemiro, uh, and Shaw. But anyway, two blatantly obvious like starters and key players, and it showed. But we also had. Martial missing another option and another midfield option in, in Sabitzer too, whereas City were, well, not only was City almost fully fit, they all, they have obviously an already far superior squad and, and have reached perfection with their squad building. And we very much have not. We're to rely on an 18-year-old, a substandard loanee and a distinctly average midfielder as our subs. And that's before we get on to the, the big asterisks, which will... Uh, which will always continue. 115 charges and a, a club who has cheated financially to get to the top and that will never stop being relevant. But yeah, how I wished we could we could still overcome that and maybe next year. Let's talk, uh, yeah, David De Gea, two goals. It's, it, I'm not going to say he should have saved both of them, but what I will say is Peter Schmeichel said he should have saved one. And the man that I'll always rely on these matters is David Priest, who's an ex-goalkeeper, current coach and pundit who offers, it, it, like we always say, we're not goalkeepers. We don't know what's, what's right and wrong. So it's always best to rely on, on someone like David Priest, who's an expert. And he was scathing in his criticism of De Gea. He said his starting position was poor and then he reacted too slowly. So he, di he didn't even give himself the chance of saving it. I, I quote, he just isn't ready on too many occasions, whether it's not recognising the danger quick enough or just being too lax. It was really bad from De Gea. And you're adding this poor shot stopping onto his distribution, which we've spoken about many times before. He completed only eight of 26 long balls. And it was just a, a poor performance that summarised his season, really. A couple of good saves in there too, of course but not good enough 
and holding United back. And in this case, not just holding United back, but I don't know quite what the phrase is, but contributing to defeat significantly. Well, you said that you won't say that he should have saved the two goals. I absolutely will say that he should have saved the second one. The first yeah. one, fine. You know, maybe on another day, if you did that in trading, when he knows it's coming, he probably gets a hand on that. But in that situation, I don't blame him for that at all. Gundogan struck that so early. I don't think De Gea had a chance. The uh, second Priest, one... David Priest said for the first one, he he can't say whether he should have saved it, but he can say that he should have. His positioning and reactions meant he never had a chance of saving it. And he thinks if he'd have reacted better as he used to and, and uh, yeah, not only reacted quicker, but better, then he would have expected De Gea to make that kind of trademark top top corner save that we've seen him do so often. I think for me, for me, I mean, I'm not one to argue with David Priest. He knows a lot more than I do. I, I would say, I think it would have taken a a world-class save to get anywhere near that. And because of that, I'm not yeah, willing to that's criticize fair enough, him yeah. too much for that. But the second one, absolutely. I mean, the sh- and the shot came off, you know, as a fan, especially when you watch on TV, I feel like you almost, you almost like take your eyes off the game for a second when a shot goes in that you, you have no worry that it's going to go in. And I felt like I almost did that when Gundogan's volley came off his foot. Yeah. I saw it kind of, you know, bobbling towards the goal. And I, watching it this morning, the the replays of it that I've seen, you can see that as the ball comes off Gundogan's foot, De Gea's first movement is actually, he takes a very small step to his left when the ball's going in the corner to his, to his right. And so not only does he then move very slowly, the commentary I was listening to said Gundogan's ball seemed to roll in, Gundogan's shot seemed to roll into the goal in slow motion. And so did David De Gea in reaction to it. And it, he does seem to go down really, really slowly. But I guess to David Priest's point about his initial positioning as well, that first movement means that even if he did get across quickly enough, he's made that save five times harder than it needs to be because he's he's forced himself to go, you know, an extra foot or two to, yeah. to reach where, where the ball actually went. Throughout the game, with, with the kicking, I, I he deserves a lot of criticism and he has done throughout the entire season. I had some sympathy for him because I, I just didn't think that United's plans were very clear yeah. from that point of view because you could see him in conversation with, Lindelof around sure very often about, you know, what exactly are we doing here at goal kicks? It seemed like De Gea had been instructed that when he's kicking long, kick to the channels, but then Rashford, which makes sense because obviously otherwise it's too easy for the ball to go straight through to Ortega and you put it in some space up the Rashford and Sancho can run onto it rather than just putting it straight on Ruben Diaz's head. But throughout the game, it seemed like Rashford and Sancho weren't always expecting that. They stayed very, very central and were getting very frustrated so it's clearly partially on De Gea, but I will also put that on the team and the planning in general as well, because it just seemed like a a tactic that didn't have, the players didn't seem on the, on the right wavelength. But I think, you know, you look back at this season and in two massive games against Sevilla and now in the FA Cup final, you'd have to point the finger pretty squarely at De Gea, not for losing the game in, you know, that is... There's a whole bunch of reasons why we lost both of those games, but making really, really high profile errors. It is becoming hard. We said a few weeks ago, I think I said that I think we can still progress as a football team with De Gea in goal. And I think I, my, my resolve in that point of view is being tested more and more. Yeah. It's hard to see. I guess going to another caveat, if Lissandra Martinez was still available, it's notable that De Gea's form has got worse since Martinez's injury. Yeah, true. Um, 
and the impact. So we speak about distribution and, and that kind of lack of planning. Martinez is a, a like we all know, he's a, a leader in the team and has that ball playing quality. And so it, I, I, I agree with you, it's becoming much harder, but maybe, maybe Ten Hag thinks it's doable, but it's tricky. But then on a, on a much I, I, I completely sorry. agree with everything you said there. It has got worse after Martinez has, has left, has gone out injured. At the same time, though, our ability to be a competent team trying to build up from the back should not be relying on just one player. And if that's all it takes for it to go to hell, then it's clearly built on a foundation that's way oh, too fragile and should be improved upon. Yeah, clearly. But if if you're if, if we're talking about whether United can survive and can can progress for in the short term with the hair still there, it's still just about possible. But I just. It's just becoming hard. And, and I think Ten I just Hag's, think it, it has to be a priority. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think Ten Hag's comments after the game, they weren't they weren't too strong, but I think they said a lot considering how vocal he's been in his support of De Gea in the past. You know, after the game, he he wasn't said he wouldn't get drawn into criticism of De Gea, but said that playing out from the back is certainly one of our issues and something that needs to be addressed Com- compared to what he said previously. Yeah. That's quite a big departure from Ten Hag. I, th- I think, like as the game was going on as well, the thing that kept standing out to me was I thought we actually pressed City relatively well, especially for for certain periods of the game. And yet, every single time you felt like, okay, we've got Rashford, Eriksen, Bruno Fernandez, Sancho in really good positions. We're cutting off all the easy passes. They, they just have an extra player because they can trust the goalkeeper, yeah. and it makes not only obviously is it a benefit when you can play it to a goalkeeper and you're confident that they can use their feet well, but it makes them so much harder to play against as well. And this was, this was City's backup keeper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it just, I think it really highlighted to me how much of a difference De Gea would make or or a goalkeeper that is much more confident with their feet would make because it it not only improves yourselves, but it also just makes you so much harder to play against from from an opposition point of view. Whereas I feel like throughout this season, we've always said, if we were any opposition team playing against Man United, you would just press the hell out of us and know that you're going to get some success throughout the game. On a much, much more positive note, Alejandro Carnacho, an 18-year-old who came on in front of 85,000 people with his team losing to their local rivals in a cup final and performed, just took on his man over and over again without fear and with a dynamism that was really lacking in our team all day. He was he was the exception in this team and he's clearly an exceptional player who continues to surprise me with his confidence and his development. And I'm, I'm just very excited to see see that continue next season. It didn't, he couldn't quite pull off what would have been an incredible equaliser. He came close once. Uh, he created another couple of chances and in comparison with United's other attacking Players, Rashford, Sancho, even Fernandez, um, Ericsson can just about be included in that. It just, yeah, just dynamism that we've enjoyed watching from Garnacho all season and enjoyed again, though just wish that could have crept in at the far post. I mean, in 30 minutes that he played, he, he cre- created far more than any other attacker on the pitch for United. He, you know, yet again, he's just come on and I think he's proven such a difference compared to pretty much everyone else in our attack, even compared to Rashford, even when Rashford is in his best form this season, Garnacho has always been 
just such a direct presence that I think United have really lacked. You know, Rashford had that earlier in his career. I think he, and he's improved clearly, but he, he isn't such a direct I was going to say, yeah, we, we've mentioned this before. How do you keep that like youthful dynamism and confidence in a player as their career progresses? And it, it is really hard. I guess the point is Garnacho will, in the same way that Rashford has become much more well-rounded and impactful and consistent, Garnacho will likely do that, may, maybe lose a bit of that dynamism. And then you have to hope you have another young player coming through who can give you that option on yeah, the bench. But, but yeah, I mean, it's always an interesting Full credit one. to Garnacho. He was brilliant when he came on. And you, you did feel like if United were ever going to get back into that game, which we very nearly did on a couple of occasions, it, it was going to come through some good work from him. And I think him being there also encouraged Shaw to get forward more. Shaw then started having more of an impact on our play going forward too. You know, there was a, there was a five minute period either side of sort of the 75 minute mark where I really, I really felt like something was building for United. There was sustained pressure. We were winning the ball back from City very quickly. They started to get a bit panicky at the back. When they won the ball back, it wasn't as smooth, you know, find the open, the open player pass out from the back. It was very much kind of long ball, just clear it. And, it, and then that, that pressure started to dissipate a little bit. And, you know, then City started doing all the niggly fouls and started hitting us on the counter-attack. But for that five minutes, and it all stemmed from Garnacho coming on. And really, I, I think he he scared the living daylights out of Man City for a little bit there because they just didn't, they weren't prepared, I don't think, to deal with with his directness, even against, when you know, he was up against one of the best one-on-one defenders in the world and Kyle Walker was getting the better of him time and time again. Yeah, yeah. At full time, we've kind of almost gone in chronological order here through the match. Um, and you're right. Yeah, there was that period where you thought we might we might get something here. And then the final five minutes just didn't feel like that. Except the one um, scramble to be honest, in the and, box. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. You're a, you're a braver man than me. I haven't rewatched the highlights I've seen. <laughs> I, haven't <laughs> I've watched, I haven't rewatched anything. I just don't think I'll ever get that out of my head. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was frustrating. I'd forgotten that. But yeah, at full, it, it then kind of dropped off and it, it was a, the final couple of minutes, there was a realisation of what was what was about to come, the horror about to unfold. But at, at full time, I didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel disgusted or leapt down by the team. And, and that's a low bar, but that is kind of like, you never want, it, it's still a positive. I felt, I didn't feel let down. I thought they gave it everything and it just, just couldn't do it. And the quality wasn't there. So positive feelings about the team, which isn't a surprise to have a day on, but I think says something about the season overall that I felt that kind of immediately at full time. Well, I, I think it, it goes back to what we said at the start, that the overriding feeling was frustration rather than anger or feeling let down by the team. Because actually, I think if you, if you play that game a hundred times, I think we take that performance most of the time. Yeah. You know, even after half an hour or so, even before we scored the penalty, I, I was thinking, you know, if, if you take out the first 15 seconds of this game, which I know is, you know, kind of re- rewriting history at that point. But if you take out the first 15 seconds of that game, I'd be perfectly content sitting here nil-nil. You know, yes, yeah, sure, City have dominated possession, but not really created much. We've managed to threaten a little bit here and there. It was It was just that second half, the sort of, the way that we came back into the game at Old Trafford, that kind of thrust. Yeah didn't happen. And, and I think, again, it goes back to the point that it's, it's frustration rather than feeling let down because I, I think the team did okay. And given the circumstances, how many injuries we had, just the golf in, in quality between, and depth between the two teams, I, th- I think we did okay. And there was 
enough. We get, we get, this is the way I guess I would sum it up. I think we gave ourselves the platform to win that game. Yeah. And we didn't then take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go into Patreon Q&A where we're going to talk about uh, the five most important areas to address this summer, about Mason Mount, about the goalkeeper situation, and then we'll wrap things up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, just back from Patreon Q&A. Really interesting discussion on Kane, Hoyland, uh, Mason Mount, on uh, the goalkeeper situation, on all sorts of things. Basically, an entire conversation about the transfer window uh, with some really interesting questions from Ethan, Corey and Steve. We're going to wrap up. Um, because there's, of course, no more matches to preview. It's the end of a season, Jack. It's been a, it's been a long one that uh, so much has happened, but it's nice to be reflecting on a campaign despite the way it's ended, not with apathy and hopelessness, but with hope and excitement for the season to come and pride in what the team has achieved this season. Yeah, 100%. The season has ended on a bit of a sour note and it might get even more sour over the next week, which we'll try a lot to think about. <laughs> but I think it showed, like you said, in the way that we both felt immediately after the final whistle. You know, you're, you're gutted for at losing, but this feels different to when we've lost FA Cup semi-finals or finals in previous recent years. It's different to when we lost the Europa League final in 2021. I think you... Now, the, the, you know, we've come out of seasons before feeling like we're moving in the right direction, but I think... The thing with United at this point is that I trust, A, I trust the quality of the manager that we have. And because of that, I think I also trust that decisions will be made in a better fashion at United going forward. And so you come out of this season thinking, yeah, yesterday was pretty awful. But at the end of the day, this has been a of most definitely on the higher end of what we hoped for and expected coming into this season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, so much is, so much of how we feel over summer will be dependent on the ownership situation and whether the Glazers really do sell and who takes over and who buys the club and who is kept around. If the takeover does happen, there may be some senior figures who are let go. There may be some people brought in. So much of it is dependent on that. And it, that gives, we speak I, well I spoke about the, like the hope and the pride but there is that underlying sense of uh, foreboding about what could happen it could be uh, if, well personally everyone will have different opinions and that's fine but there will be 
re- there may be reasons to celebrate and there may be, from my perspective, reasons to be very, very gloomy about the state of modern football at Manchester United. So, um, yeah, it's of that, that weird sense. But yeah, it's been, it has just been a, a brilliant season with some incredible memories made with some brilliant mates watching Manchester United. And that's uh, from a, uh, everyone listening to this will, I'm sure, think the same because otherwise, why would you be listening? But it is just like football is a wonderful thing despite the pain of losing sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's been a lovely season. For uh, we'll we'll decide what kind of more episodes we're going to do before we wrap up series eight and uh, prepare for series nine of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. For anyone who's been listening from the start incredible thank you for your support to anybody who hasn't and has picked this up recently thank you for listening and your support as well Jack for your thoughts throughout the week or the next couple of weeks on on United and anything else where can people find you on Twitter you can find me at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and I'm at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod thank you for listening I hope you have a great week and can avoid everything that's happening in Istanbul next Saturday night Goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.